Ladies and gents, welcome back to the Relax Running Podcast. This is Tyson Popplestone. I'm your host, and today I thought we'd mix things up a little bit. I wanted to, uh, well, the other day I was having a flick through the episodes that we've done over the last two and a half years and was pretty excited to see some of the guests that we had here, and I thought, I wonder what some of the highlights were. So I spent a few hours going through some of the best moments, in my opinion, from the podcast, and um, I wanted to share them with you. So hey, maybe you're relatively new here, or maybe you've heard them all, and it's going to serve as a little bit of a refresher. But um, man, it's interesting to see. We've got over 130 episodes here. So if you like the snippets, make sure you go back and have a look and, uh, and listen to the full episode. I'll make sure I give you a, uh, an overview of what the episode was and where you can find it. So guys, hope you enjoy it. Sit back, relax, and enjoy some of the, uh, the best that Relax Running Podcast has uh, put together over the last couple of years. All right, this first one is from back in the early days of the pod, episode 19. My wife and I drove over to South Australia to speak all things marathon running with Jess Stenson, formerly Jess Trengove, who is a uh, absolute machine of the running world. So uh, this one, we speak about training, we speak about recovering from pregnancy, we speak about how it is that she's put together such good marathons. So it was a really enjoyable episode, episode 19. So your, your training up to that point was obviously going super well, but you hadn't yeah. run a marathon before that. So Adam, um, I think, had a bigger plan. Like to me, I was just getting programs and I was slowly increasing my mileage Um and then suddenly this opportunity was, I guess I'd run a half marathon in 2010 and I loved it. I remember being so excited for that race because there was no pressure. I was like, this is mm-hmm. 21 whatever Ks, let's see if I can last the distance. And I really enjoyed it, getting into my own rhythm. So from that point, I knew that like the longer distances were my thing, but the idea mm. of a marathon was still daunting. In 2011, in April, um, I was at a coffee with Rob D. Costello and Sean Crichton and um, Dick Telford in Canberra and they were all sort of talking about Olympics in 2012 and, oh, you should have a crack at the marathon or the steeple. And I came back and spoke to Adam about it and I think from that point he was gearing me towards um, running a marathon. So, yeah, basically a year later I ran that marathon. So he was really um, smart with my training progressions and I think I got up to maybe – the odd week at 150 kilometres a week before going into that marathon. And, again, I was really excited because I just had no real – there was no pressure. It was just like, let's get out there, try and hit these 5K splits. Yeah. And <laughs> but you sound like you did a lot. We were laughing as well before I hit record on my ridiculous marathon debut in 2018, which I don't even know why I bring up in this same rumble conversation <laughs> because it wasn't as impressive. But the idea of going in with some split times and knowing what it is that you're trying to yeah. – is, is obviously – like just to be able to break down such a long distance into sort of achievable goals through yeah. five days is, is helpful. But did you have a, a rough idea of what you might have been capable of running before you stepped onto the start line or was it just well, so up in the air you had no idea? Credit to Adam Diddick, my coach. He um he got in touch with some other coach, you know, Steve Monaghetti, Chris Wardle, other people who have um, experienced marathon training mm. just to see whether my training was kind of – roughly around the mark and so that instilled a lot of belief um, as well from his point of view but also me knowing that coaches and athletes who had done it before kind of approved of of what we'd done and he is very meticulous with his planning and sort of said in the lead up weeks you know we'll do these sessions at marathon pace give you a good feel we'll practice your fluid taking on fluids and your gels and so Mm -hmm. I felt like I had 
practiced everything. I knew what the pace felt like. Um, and yeah, then it was just a case of getting to halfway and I got to halfway and I felt terrible. I remember my really? shins were cramping and then I kind of tried to offload them by pushing off more and then I felt like I'd torn my calves and I remember my hamstring in the final few kilometres, just one side was just grabbing and I thought if I quickly change a corner, I'm history. Like everything was hurting but I got to the finish line and it was one of the greatest feelings just knowing that I might be lining up in London and that preparation for London, I was a lot more confident in what I was doing because suddenly I knew that you know, the training did translate to a marathon that I was happy with, but I had to get a lot stronger because I think um, I hadn't been doing gym work. I'd just been doing the running training and mm. I felt like the wheels were falling off quickly in that first marathon. I think this is something that's so interesting to uh, – so a lot of the people that listen to this aren't necessarily at the elite level, but they're, they're fun running or they're getting more serious about their running. And uh, one question that comes up a lot is, is like what things outside of my running do I look after to make sure that my running keeps improving? Yeah. Because obviously you think, oh, I'm going to be a runner. I just need to run more and you yeah. know, hopefully not get injured. But it's interesting that the strength component, even for someone who is running Olympic qualifying times, was something you look at and go, oh, my gosh, like there's room, room for imp- uh, yeah. improvement here. So what, what, what kind of things does that look like? So how do you implement a gym program into a, um, a marathon training program yeah. to complement that training? So with marathon training, I think it's about doing gym work that will help you to prevent injuries. It's not necessarily like my husband, Dylan, who's an 800 runner, his gym is about performance. He's doing box jumps and plyometric things, really, you know, heavy weights that improve his power and whatnot. Whereas for me, it's more about building my stability so that I can withstand the marathon training and getting my calves a bit stronger, really working on my foot strength and stability and just some movement patterns and, um, flexibility as well and then the other things I think are really important I used to say sleep and I still do believe sleep but I'm realizing sleep as long as you can like function well mentally you kind of you're okay like sleep is such an individual thing I think um and nutrition I think I've always thought was important but now that I'm experiencing exercising with less sleep I'm realizing the nutrition probably is a big part of it all. Um, I never really knew which one it was, but I'm thinking nutrition is a really heavy player in performance, just injury prevention, illness prevention, performance, um, just yeah, helping your immunity and, and I guess timing of it all, you know, with your guts and how they feel is important as well. Yeah, it was so funny. So I um, actually, one of the questions, and feel free to pass this off because it's just a disgusting question, but I'll be interested to hear. <laughs> and I think a lot of people would. I um, I recently did a survey to a whole heap of distance runners about what they're interested in learning from people like yourself. And uh, one of the questions that came up more than once is like, I'm, I'm constantly scared of shitting myself during yeah. a marathon, which I've been on enough long runs to know that it's a dangerous proposition, like to run 42Ks for three hours, two and a half, whatever it is you're going to be. Yeah. Like, are there certain steps that you take? Because we've all seen the famous photos of Paula Radcliffe pulled off on the yeah. side of the road going, oh, I didn't quite, I didn't quite nail it. Yeah. But the nutrition component is, is obviously such a huge part of the yeah. preparation and the planning, not only for your energy, but so you're not cramping and just, you know, getting these little issues that are not only going to be embarrassing but cost you time but how, how do you organize nutrition yeah. is there certain um i'll just be interested to pick your brain about sort of the lead up to uh, race day or, or even just your general training yeah nutrition i think if you go back like dad's a um a vet 
um, loves animal health and animal nutrition and he's always been passionate about nutrition. Mum loves cooking and loves, you know, doing a big shop up of um, good fruit and veg and making creative salads and um, I guess I've grown up in an environment where we love food and, and good food and a really balanced diet so I've got a lot to thank mum and dad for from that regard. I think just having generally good gut health is important and um, for some people who have intolerances you've got to you know get on top of that um, trying to get your probiotic things in so that because if you've got that sort of irritable bowel syndrome and in Paula's case I think she'd been on long-term anti-inflammatories and she did have a bit of irritable bowel she's spoken about which could have influenced that Mm -hmm. so trying to generally stay healthy and then um, specifically I think it's a lot to do with timing so Mm -hmm. before a run working out what your gut can tolerate for you and I we were chatting earlier we can both handle oats which are high in fiber but some people need to completely stay away from fiber and have those what they call low res foods so something as basic as some white toast and honey or you you can do rice bubbles but you know you might not like the dairy You've, you've just got to practice and see what works for you but for me the only time I really go low fiber is for the marathon race itself because I do a carb load if I'm having too much fiber I get to the start line feeling so uh, I don't know what the word is like lethargically heavy almost like you got all this fiber on board you've drawn in all the water that you've been taking on so by following a low fiber diet in the lead up to a race I can still feel energized full of carbs but kind of light All right, this next episode was episode 26 with Genevieve Gregson, formerly Genevieve Lacaz. We catch up to speak about her training, to speak about how she's navigating injury and how she's navigating putting together the foundations of her training. It was a really enjoyable episode. So uh, I know you're going to get a lot out of this particular one if you wanted to hear the whole thing, episode 26. Yeah, it was just kind of almost finding that balance and not being you can work too hard Mm. in this sport of us all being a little bit OCD and you know we're obviously always on a fine edge um you have to learn to be a little kind to yourself at times and not um you know be pushing in every facet yeah so yeah so an example like so you ran you told me before we started that you ran what 26k this morning so that yeah okay so and I know I was saying to you as well that I was down there a couple of weeks ago running with the other group and the pace that you guys ran past yep. us, I was so glad that I wasn't in your group. Yeah. Um, there's, I think there's about, there must have been four or five of you girls yep. leading the way. And I was like, mate, you guys would have put me to shame. It's intense. Um, so 26Ks, what, what pace are you running that today? Yeah, so this my Sunday runs now, just this is my second week of it, believe mm-hmm. it or not, uh, are now pretty much playing as my third session for the week. Yeah. Um, so... Luckily for me, we've got a really strong marathon group. There's uh, Andrea, Sinead and Charlotte and they're obviously preparing for longer stuff like half marathon and marathon. Uh, and they're, they're doing intense long runs as, you know, that's their bread and butter for the yeah. week. So I've kind of started to jump in with them, <laughs> even though they run an hour before I get there. Um, I jump in with them and run an hour 45 now. So yeah. I used to just be a 90-minute girl thinking that was, you know, plenty, but I've... Uh, Nick and I have changed my week around a lot just due to having a very injury-prone past um, where now I only do two sessions. I'll do Tuesday, Friday, um, but I make Sunday real quality. Yeah, uh, sure. So, yeah, now I run 26K 
um, and average anywhere between 358 oh, and 402. Are you serious? Yeah. Oh, so, my God. And so it that's feels that fast. So <laughs> yeah. I, I was high-fiving a couple of weeks ago because the, the race uh, – sorry, the, the race. It was a racing model. <laughs> the run that I did uh, where you guys ran past us, I think – I think we averaged like four sixteens, and yeah. I, I got back in the car. I was like, "Mate, I'm the king. I'm back." Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was looking so at like Olympic qualifying so. standards. And I'm like, "I think we can do it." And uh, but that's uh, that's not mucking around. Yeah, it's... I love it. My strength is the aerobic side. Okay. Um, I've always been more of an engine over distance um, than you know the anaerobic work. So long runs have always definitely been my strength, and I have in the past tended to try run with the boys. Like that's when I would try run with Ryan is on a long run day. Mm-hmm. Um, but now with trying to rearrange my week and get more quality days rather than up my Ks, which we're trying not to do, I just make Sunday, yeah, a really quality run, which is fun for me because, yeah, I can run with the boys or yeah. I can run with the marathon girls. But, yeah, I treat it like a session. It's I wake up, I limber up, I do a few leg swings. Oh, do you? Yeah, yeah, okay. Because I know that once, you know, I get going, there's no mucking around. Um, yeah. And, you have to feel good for those type of days. Like we were at one point towards the end running in the three forties, and oh, I'm so glad I that is really hard. <laughs> yeah. So these girls are machines. They're just so fit. Um, and like I'm saying, Sunday's you know a big day for them, but every day's a big day for them. They do massive sessions on Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, and then it, they today they did a two and a half hour long run. Well, okay, so, so they're doing three sessions plus this yeah, long run. Yeah, they do a lot of work. Um, I mean, they have to. They got you know, the marathon coming up and they've both qualified for the Olympics. So they're obviously um, in full training, but the way their bodies back up, I just can't comprehend. So Charlotte, um, she's an English girl on our team, Charlotte Perdue. She told me today she did 200K a week. And I was like, that's double what I do. 200Ks yeah. this week. She just absorbs it so well. Her and Sinead, they're very, very so the, are they, like is she a Is she a marathon runner? Yep. yep. Yeah, okay. Yeah. That is incredible. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It seriously blows my mind just the amount of Ks. And, and as you say, like the ability to be yeah. able to just back it up oh, and absorb the work. So once you finish that, you get back in the car. And what's your what's your snack? How do you replenish that? So I always have a protein um, shake afterwards. <clears throat> and... Ryan and I usually, if it's a long day like that, we also pack um, just like protein nut bars and stuff just also to get something in our belly because you're obviously starving by that point. Ryan sometimes runs with little um, natural confectionery uh, lollies. Yeah, Yeah. but I think that's more just for his enjoyment, not for fuel. (laughs) (laughs) He makes it like feel like it's kind of his way of, you know, doing a long run and getting the extra calories in. But no, I think he just likes eating lollies when he runs. (laughs) Um, Do you you ever take gels and stuff on a run like that? No, I mean, hour 45, I've only done twice now in my life. So it's all new to me, but I don't think that's long enough for me at the moment to feel like I need fuel out there. As long as I fuel well the night before and I have like a decent sized breakfast. Yeah. Um, that feels good for me. But the girls, they have to take gels because they need to practice digesting yeah, while sure. running. So they all have gels more as practice. I know Brett Robinson does the same. Do you know what gels they're using? Because I'm on the hunt at the moment trying to um, think about. Maybe Morton. Yeah, Morton's yeah. The, the popular one I, at the A lot moment, of people are real. Like I know Brett's big on Morton and um, it seems like that's definitely been all the craze right now. So I, I've, I don't know how I could – drink or eat something oh, while I'm running. I have always so been bad at that. Yeah. Well. My stomach just wouldn't allow me to digest it. But, yeah. Um, yeah, they they said that they have to practice it because you don't have an option. In a marathon, you don't have a choice. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, they 
you know, time it and try to get it all in. Yeah. And what are you eating? So you, you said you fuel up the night before the morning yep. of. Like, what are you what are you having for those little snacks or I for just, those meals? Yeah, I just make sure the night before I never skimp on carbs. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm not a massive, like, I don't carbo-load for in much in my week because nothing's ever that long. But a Saturday night, you know, I just make sure that I have rice or potato or bread or something yeah. significantly in my um, meal because I know I'll need it. You know, I'll need the glycogen stores the next day. And then the morning of is the same every single day of the week. I have four rye crackers with peanut butter, honey, cinnamon, and banana sliced stuff oh, on top of it. Super savory, hey? Yeah, yeah. And it's got a little bit of sweet. Yeah. So um, it's like my treat. I actually look forward to it. It's really? really enjoyable. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and Ryan has peanut butter on toast with a banana. So we, um, yeah, we do that every Breakfast morning. Champions. There's yeah. going to be so many people in Australia who have just updated Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know why, like... <laughs> Peanut butter wasn't massive in Australia, but when you're on the kind of athlete circuit, you realize all athletes eat peanut butter. Yeah. It's like the key food. <laughs> yes. You don't if you go to a meet and they haven't supplied peanut butter at breakfast, people start panicking or they've been smart and brought their own peanut butter. Yeah, and it's just such easy calories, isn't oh, it, as yeah. well? Like and if it's good fats, yeah, yeah, it kind of sticks to your stomach well. So it's definitely something we all use a lot. Not long after he set the Australian half marathon record, I went and caught up with Brett Robinson over in his place. He was, uh, man, he was a wealth of knowledge. It was a really interesting time to talk to him about his marathon preparation, his half marathon preparation, how it was that he had found such good form and what some of the plans were for the future. So this was a really informative episode with one of Australia's best distance runners for the whole episode. You can listen over at Relax Running, episode 28. Yeah. yeah. So how, how does it work with the marathon? Because I've, I've spoken to a few people and they've tried to explain a little bit to me about how the qualifying process works. And don't, bro, I just zone out. Yeah. I, just, I find the whole process so boring. <laughs> yeah. Oh. But with the, I love the way the Americans do it. It's like, all right, your top three, all right, go to the Olympics. Yeah. So so America has such good depth that they have a trial. Yeah. Um, and then also their depth is, because it's that good, they get special permission, so does Japan, that their trial is a gold label event. And if you get top three in that, it means it. no matter what time, you, you can run 220 and win it, that is a qualifier for the Olympics. So that's why the top three go. Um, but, yeah, for us, it's – well, I guess it's up to selectors. I, uh, we're assuming they do it on time. I don't know. They, yeah. they could do it other way. But, but and, yeah, the time's 2.11.30. So at the moment, we've got three guys under that. So whoever – if there's a fourth, then the suckers have to make a decision. But at the moment, it's just the three. Yeah. Okay. So what um what have you run? What's your uh two ten fifty five? You run two ten as well. Yeah. Holy and crap, bro! That Jack is, is two eleven oh six. So we've got three guys within like eighteen seconds. It's so funny being older, man. Like I'm I'm thirty two now, and I remember once I saw like I met Lee Troop, and mm. Lee just run like a. I think he had just done like a two hour 12 marathon. Yeah. And I saw him at like a local run and I got so intimidated just meeting him because I was like, this guy's done two ten. That's crazy. Two nine he's done. Has yeah. he done two nine? Yeah. Yeah, fire it. Well, mate, you must be. It's funny. I was having a chat with uh, with a bloke I do the podcast with a little bit here and I was saying, I'm, I'm so excited to watch you hopefully nail a marathon the next. Well, I'm, I'm sure you'll nail one, but just which one it's going to be. Yeah. But what are the, uh, like with a 50, with a 59 half under your belt, like what are you. Like, what would you estimate or what would you guess if you nailed a marathon you could you could hit? I, to be honest, I think I can run – I could run 207. Yeah. Um, like, fairly soon. I The the guy that actually came second at Maragami ran 207 um, 
last week. But like, obviously, that doesn't mean that I'm going to run 207. But I, I felt like I've definitely been in that shape. Um, but I just haven't nailed the marathon yet. And I think I'm learning a lot. But yeah, I reckon I'm, I can run 207 if I was to run one. So how, how many marathons have you run? Uh, I, I, so I for my first one, uh-huh. which is in Fukuoka. And then I ran 210 in my second. And then I ran New York and I had a bad race. But New York was a, a funny one as well. It's been interesting. I was having a, I was having to listen to a couple of the running podcasts where they were like closer to the time and they were speaking about it. Like the inside running boys had a good chat and um, it was just it was interesting just to hear the different perspectives that there were. But it was it was a race where it, it seemed like you were approaching it with the mindset of like I'm just gonna I'm here to race. Yeah. Um, and like it's a it seems to me from my racing experience it's very different when you go up to a race. You know, all right, I'm here to race and just see what I can do. Then, all right, I'm going to go out conservatively and just try and run a time. Yeah, is that is that sort of like what you took away from it, or, or it, where was your head after that? Yeah, race? so it definitely. So I'll say if I go through my marathons, Fukuoka was one where I'm. It was my first one, and I thought I can run. I thought I would run under two ten in my first one, to be honest. And I went in there looking at the time and then chasing it, and I just didn't really have the background in my legs, and my legs fell apart. Um, London got into it. I'm like, all right. I'm just going to race this one. I'm going to go with guys that I think I should be around um, and then get in, try to get it in that competitive mind and race them to the finish and keep with them and keep in the competition. And that, I reckon, worked better for me. Um, and then New York, again, was the same. Because, because of the hills and stuff like that, it was, all right, let's just think about the um, the, the race. And that's what I did in Maragami as well. So well, I think I'm better when I go, all right, let's just get into a challenge here and try to beat whoever I can. And I think when I worry about the time, I'm just not racing properly. Mm. It's a, it's it's interesting. I've only, bro, like I can't even, I shouldn't even be really having this conversation because I ran one marathon and um, like I love the fact that Benny, I don't love the fact he blew up, <laughs> but I love the fact he blew up around 2.28. Yeah. I, it was so embarrassing, man. So I um gone into this marathon a couple of, like a year and a half ago. I was, I've got a running background and I like, I know people like you and I'll listen to people like you speaking about the training and stuff that goes mm. into it. I'm like, okay, so the long run's the important thing. I'm like, bro, like, I'm pretty fit. Mm-hmm. I'll, um, I, like, I've got good speed. I'm sure I'll be fine. So I did, like, my longest run was 30K. Yeah. And, uh, and then most of them were, like, 25. I was like, I'm, I think I'm sweet. And, uh, man, I went through We went through the first half in – I just wanted to break three hours originally. And I was training with Mottram's group. And do you know Zach Newman? Yeah. Yeah, Zach Newman was like, mate, you're actually pretty fit. I was like, yeah, I am actually, aren't I? He's like, yeah, you're looking good. He's like, maybe you should up your standard. I was like, okay, maybe I could run, maybe run 240. Yeah. And uh, just take 20 minutes off. Anyway, so I went out with that mindset, went through an hour 19, and I was like, I think I'm back. Like, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a distance runner. Like, I've been playing footy and just chilling out, going to the gym for the last couple of years. I was like, that's what I needed, mate. This is the start. And then that was at 21K. 22k i was like i'm in so much trouble <laughs> <laughs> so it's a it's a weird event like when it comes to the mental side of it as well yeah. like i got a, i got a little glimpse into it but the the idea of racing a marathon against the best guys in the world is are there certain strategies and things that you're you're doing in your mind whether like maybe subconsciously that you've just adapted that that help you deal with the the sort of challenge that you're about to face in those races um well, during the race, I'm really good at switching off. So I like pretty much take myself to another place. Like I'm at London Marathon, I can barely remember any of the race because I just pretty much just thought about other things and and really try to put myself in another another place. Um, yeah, so that's kind of how I deal with it. And and then and just at least then do, if I can do that for as long as possible, and then hopefully I get to like 30k, and I'm like, all right, now let's work out what to do for this last bit and like where to dig deep. 
Yeah. So when you say you put yourself in another place, what what is that? Is that something that you've had to develop, or you just do it naturally? Uh, I, I don't know why. I I think it's something when with massages. I've um I remember I had osteitis pubis um pretty much a year ago, and I was going to see Andrew White for massages, and he's like oh, doing this thing around my like in my adductors, and it was like the most painful thing, and I was just like. It's like there's this movie Happy Gilmore, like uh-huh. about golf, and he used to talk about going to his happy place. I'll like talk about my happy place, <laughs> and so I just like close my eyes and just like think about like good memories or like like times with my friends or something like that, and just like that's what I'd think about, and that's how I deal with the pain. And then so in the marathon, that's what I do as well. Like or in races, I just think about happy things pretty much. Like anything that is like a happy thought is I just try to think of them for as long as possible that's so funny man so that's something that um, and i've heard andrew white is a oh, is a brutal, brutal. massage therapist as and well. he's just like he'll be like you've been in so much pain and he's just there with a blank face like not caring and i'm just like <laughs> come on like no compassion on him like yeah uh it's funny so have you would you say you got a bit of a reputation for for being that bloke i'll put nate hardy in, in that same category i don't know if he goes to a happy place or he just goes to i'm gonna I'm gonna for for any listeners overseas, Nate Hardigan's a Ballarat boy that we both had a little bit yeah. to do with me probably longer ago than you. But I uh, I, I remember once Motram Motram came up to Ballarat and uh, he was pretty like he was getting fit. It must have been like 2007. I was so intimidating. Mm. It was Craig Motram. I was 20 years old. I was like, oh my gosh. Yeah. And uh, I remember him putting up putting in like a little little surge up one of the hills. And uh, Nate's supposed to be king of the hills. Yeah. And uh, I'll never forget, like, running alongside Nate and pardon my French, but Nate's yelling out, fuck you, much!" <laughs> like, uh, he's supposed to be just the man. And uh, but I've been on a few runs with, with Nate where I've wanted to yell out the same thing. Oh, yeah. Nate, when he turns it on, like, speaking of a bloke who gets the most out of his talent. Yeah. Oh, yeah, uh, It's pretty incredible. Yeah. And I find it interesting. Do you remember there was a bloke called Matt Bailey back in the yeah, day? Yeah, yeah, Matt Bailey was like yeah. that as well. Whenever I saw him on a start line, I was like, oh, this is going to be a hard yeah, yeah. office. Yeah, I, yeah, I think there's a lot of people. That, I think I'm I probably one of those people as well that I'm never going to make a race easy. I'm never going to go wait till a kick finish or anything like that. So I'm always going to push harder. I remember with Nate Hardy and like when I lived in Ballarat, um, we'd do uh, Mount Bunny on. So it's just like, six or so k straight up a hill up a mountain and then uh the first mile is just straight up this highway and it's like me ryan gregson like Coles birmingham all turning up and nate is smacking us up this first hill and we're just like oh my god he was like he's like no nah, i'm king of this mountain. i don't care i will bury myself for the whole week <laughs> that was just nate oh he's so funny yeah, he does have a reputation like the steeper the hill the more yeah, scared yeah. he should be I um yeah I still laugh listening to the inside running boys talk about going for a run with him because he sounds like him and Ash Watson. It's that Ballarat air. I swear, yeah. there's something in that Ballarat air that just makes you want to run faster. Oh uh, yeah, I, some of my toughest runs I reckon have been through those forests out there. Like it's tough running anyway, and then it's just relentless pace. So what were you doing there? What made you move to Ballarat? Um, yeah, so in 2012, I um I went to overseas with Gre- Ryan Gregson, and then. I actually got injured, I got a stress fracture in my hip and came home. And then after the European season, Ryan messaged me. He's like, oh, I'm thinking of moving to Ballarat to live with Collis. Um, he, do you want to come down for a few weeks like while I'm still settling in? And I'm like, yeah, sounds good. Like two-week training camp, good for me. And then uh, he goes, you know, if you, if you like it, you can move down. And I'm like, you know what, I'm just going to move down. Like if I want to be a good runner, it's probably the best place for me. So I moved in with Ryan and Collis and I spent, yeah, two years there and, and so I wasn't like my PB at that time was thirteen forty. I'd run, um, but then and then the next year I made world champs final. It was like it was like ten months of being there, and I was I ran thirteen eighteen, 
yeah, went to World Champs, made the final. So what happened, like what, obviously just the, I was speaking to Jen last week, that's uh, it, Ryan's wife, for those of you who didn't know that, um, and, uh, and and she was telling me one thing about just being married with, to, to Ryan, it's just the professionalism yeah. that, that he just, like he, he implemented, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to reach out to him, try and get him on here soon, but um, is the, he's just so professional in the way that he goes about things, and I, I don't know, um, I haven't seen Cole for years, to be honest. But uh, I can imagine he would have been the kind of bloke who just got what he needed to get done as well. Was that the yeah. big standout thing that changed? Definitely. I, so I was living in Canberra. I had a good group there. Like I was showing Marty Dan, who had just been to the Olympics for the marathon, and, and then like Philo, who was running low three forties, fifteen hundred. Um, so I had a good group there. But but they had like they had families, they had um, their, their jobs and stuff like that. And I was trying to be a professional athlete, but kind of not with a uh, with a group that had other things in their life. And then so I moved down with Ryan and Collis and they were like the top of Australia, like even top of the world. Um, so I could then be in a professional group um, and then I could just pretty much I followed Collis around. Whatever he did, I did just for a year. And yeah. it, when he ran, I ran. I just ran the same pace as him. Like I would eat like he would eat. Um, he was just I – was, I reckon I was an easy student, but yeah, he was a great teacher for me. Um, but yeah, you, you think about that, the professionalism, it's just like you, you're doing everything possible day in, day out, and a, a, every run had a meaning for it. It's just you're not wasting any opportunity to to get fitter. Yeah, what I, I always find it so interesting chatting with with top athletes and just finding out um, like the other the other areas of, of training and stuff that you're really focusing on. So um, like obviously, so running's like the core ingredient. Yeah. Um, but when you when you say like the the little one percent, so what are what are a couple of those things to you? Um, running um, a, a recovery diet. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. So like obviously I've got my recovery pants sitting on the couch just there. That oh, I do. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I thought there was a fireman suit. I <laughs> yeah, so, I had some party going on last yeah. night. <laughs> uh, yeah, like compression pants. Wow. Because you can't see them, but what, uh, what do they do? So they're like there's a brand called Nomatech. I don't okay, know. Yeah, yeah. Which they're like really expensive ones. So my ones are just cheap ones, but um. They pretty much just blow up and they compress your legs and it's just like gives your legs a flush. It, it's not as good as a massage, but it's something you can do every night. You do it all day if you want, um, and it's just easy to do while you're watching TV. But there's um, a serious couch as well that you got there. Yeah, it's a good couch. <laughs> uh, for those of you who can't see, it, it's a, it's probably the size of a king size bed. Yeah, um, yeah, beautiful man. Yeah, it's good to sleep on. I had uh, Kevin back come down and oh, for training with me for two weeks and he slept there the whole time. So it. it, it it's good um but yeah yeah um so yeah recovery obviously but then gym and just just like those things as well and i think a lot of people just like roll out for a run where i'm probably doing like 15 20 minutes of activations and stuff before my run and then straight away like making sure you're getting in the protein what's the activation like like say like glute activation and stuff like that just little things that to make sure my body's ready like i'm trying to run sometimes 200k a week so it's it gets pretty beat up and, and pretty sore so they are things i actually need to do um otherwise i kind of hobble around for a good 15 20 minutes before it warms up so but and like ryan gregson like he's another level as well like he he'll do even more for 30 minutes of that activation like he's crazy like that and um but it's just it's just things you need to do like we're putting our bodies through a lot so it's making sure that it's ready to do 
what we're asking of it. Yeah, so they're just uh, like a couple of little strategies. Like you both had, uh, like most runners, had a few run-ins with injuries. Yeah. And what that's just been sort of, I guess you've been incentivized to try and do yeah. the, the even smaller things. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I just found that like, I just, from each injury, kind of picked up like a few little things from it. And I've just kind of made this small little routine that probably takes like 10 minutes um, in the morning that just kind of getting kind of my Achilles good and my like glutes like fire and stuff like that and just being like making sure I'm nice and loose and, and not not stiff when I do step out the door and start running. How do you find it in the morning? Like when you get out of bed, how's the how's the body? Is it a bit yeah, creaky it's, or? it's pretty stiff. Like my yeah, my both my Achilles and my planners are pretty stiff for them. Like they have been for years really. But nothing too bad. Like I, I usually just put on shoes straight away and um as soon as you get out of bed, you yeah, know, yeah. It, it, at least like slides, and I find that helps for some reason. I'm not, I'm not sure why, but if I walk around barefoot, it kind of takes, it's a bit sore and it takes a bit to warm up. But if I put shoes on, it, I don't know why, it just supports them, I guess. Yeah. In what was one of Relax Running's most popular episodes of all time, Liam Adams brought the goods at episode 30, where he speaks about how he was training uh, for a marathon, running 200Ks a week just qualifying for the Olympics, all while working full-time. It was a really intense episode. People's minds were blown at just how much work this guy was putting in to achieve his dream. So really inspiring, especially for those of you working full-time and trying to balance your training with your work life. I uh, recommend you go and listen to episode 30 with myself and Liam Adams. Okay, weeks and... Went to Berlin knowing that I wasn't going to run well, so I just said, oh, I just spent bit over five grand for flights accommodation and whatever else for this race i'm like free hit at the olympics so let's just try and just run the qualifier and see if that's going to be enough and i just went to pace and fell off at about 29k and like i'm done here the chest is really struggling so i like after that i'm like pulled i pulled the pin in that race at about 34k mark and i'm just like all right i need some time off to get the body right this chest infection's been shocking so had a bit of time off work um off running um was like all right i'm gonna get back into it but then work got chaotic and there's some big hours and from september to early december i was probably only doing 60k weeks yeah really yeah so really small and i had plans of doing zatapec and i just threw them out the window just because um work was my priority at the time yeah um so the running took a little bit of a shift and i'm just like i I originally wanted to do lake by marathon had my entry in and only started to build up general fitness in december and then it was start of january where i was like starting to do some marathon training so i hit my first I think I jumped from about 140k straight into a 210k week. Oh, wow. uh, that was that. Um, it was that week where it was um, k. Every k is a dollar for the bushfires and stuff like that. And that was roughly when I started my marathon prep. And that was the period, or the weeks and or two before that. It was like quite kind of smoky because I was up in Sydney for just around New Year's, um, visiting Charlotte's parent and whatever yeah. else. So I wasn't getting some good training in there and then you start getting smoking conditions in Melbourne and then Falls Creek and that and I'm just like, I'm not going to um, get the required training in for yeah. Lake Biwa. So 
I'm like, all right, got to try and get into another marathon. Um, I don't know if we'll edit out the name of that marathon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I was looking for something around April, May and got, got the no from that. And I kind of knew that I was going to get the no from that race once I saw the uh, fields announced. So um, it is what it is. Uh, so I was just like, all right, I've got to go all in here. <laughs> so it was, I was kind of arms are tied like Biwa. So let's go do a short prep and try and qualify for the Olympics. So had four weeks off work and just trained like a professional athlete. And I was racking up my biggest mileage weeks ever. So um, I think before this this little stint at Falls Creek, my highest mileage week was about 238. I think this one I averaged oh, 243, 244Ks a week oh for four weeks gosh. straight. And yeah, I think... How'd I, the body adjust? How'd you fight? Obviously pretty bloody well. Oh, well, surprisingly <laughs> well, yeah. If you told me that you're going to do that type of mileage, I'm like, oh, don't know how I'll do it. So <laughs> yeah, how do you so, yeah, so, that kind of mileage? What are you doing? Like, what does your week look like in that situation? Well, generally, uh, my weeks are, well, just because of work, I'm one run a day. So um, being in that situation where I'm training like a professional athlete, I can do two runs a day. So it was a lot easier. And interestingly, um, those t- those big mileage weeks, those 240 plus K weeks were easier than a standard week where I'm at work, working for like say my average working week, 40 to 45 hour weeks, and then trying to fit in 180 K weeks on top of that. So um, is that what you're usually doing? You're working yeah. a full-time job and then on top of that run 180 K a week? Yeah. yeah. So, so I, I try and, and much, one, yeah. one run each day. Yes. Yeah. What does so, that equal out? I'm trying to do the math right now. Um, it's generally I try and look at about 30k a day but it's not because 30k a day is like 210 um so I'm short of that I try and get towards 200k weeks but generally I found over the last few years 180k is kind of (laughs) that sweet spot so um so what time are you getting up in the – what time do you start, actually? You must be having some yeah, early it's, it's not a, It's not a morning run, I tell you that. I no, be good decision. Um, so I guess I find out where I'm working the night before. So sometime maybe after 9 o'clock I might be getting a text message saying you're working here. Um, this time we're – at this time we're starting and it could be other side of the city. It could be pretty close or whatever else. But generally you're – Traveling about 30, 45 sometimes an hour. Yeah. Um, so most days we generally start 7, 7.30, but you have days where you're starting 6 or even earlier. If you're working in a restaurant, then you're starting at about 4.30 in the morning. Are you so, kidding me? Yeah. So some nights I'm, well, I'll, I'll just go through a general day. Oh, so, so yeah, that'd be, that'd be so awesome I, to see. Say I start at seven, 7 o'clock in the morning, so getting up maybe 5.36, getting up, um, just a general thing, drive to work, start seven, get home from work because it's generally I'm working more than eight-hour days. So um, I'm getting home, I'm finishing maybe somewhere between four o'clock and five and then driving home. So I'm getting home at maybe six and by the time I'm starting my run, it might be pretty much six or somewhere between 
between six and seven thirty. So I'm starting my run then, or starting training around then. So once I'm finishing training, I'm probably getting home nine thirty ten, and then it's like, all right, dinner, lunches, prepare for tomorrow, unwind. It's getting close to twelve o'clock that I'm um, trying to start heading towards bed or whatever. So I'm getting bugger all sleep, and I'm. I'm a person who just loves my sleep. So <laughs> I'm waking up like a zombie every morning. I'm just like, oh, so much pain. I wish I could get another hour or two sleep, but it's just, yeah, I'm, I'm not a morning person. I'm more of a, a night person. So I, I struggle to get to sleep and then I just wanting to sleep in a bit longer. So. And last but absolutely not least is Australian 1,500-mile, 3,000-metre record holder, Stewie McSwain. Stewie was a, uh, a really good guest. He's been on here a couple of times now. And in this episode, he just walks us through his training, his mindset, and uh, what he puts down some of his big improvements over the last couple of years too. So this one is episode 67 if you want the full episode. Yeah. What are a couple of the things that you, you've probably learnt in the last few years that really worked for you that you weren't giving too much thought? Because... I reckon the, the Aussie approach to training, and I don't know if it's the same all around the world, but there's a pretty stock standard approach for most athletes um, around Australia training for distance that people just, I, I think, go along with without too much thought. Has there been some standout factors for you that you're like, all right, I'm going to cut that out and really focus on other aspects of my training? Yeah, I think like a lot of things, like I've, I generally don't, don't jog quickly. So like I do a lot of my easy runs slow. I'm just not able to handle um, smacking a lot of runs fast like a lot of people can. So that's kind of a big thing for me. Um, Or like little things like I have over the last couple of years, I don't think since 2018 I've gone up to altitude at the start of the year um, just because it's kind of worked better for me just to stay at home um, and just kind of prepare by myself for the upcoming European season. And it's kind of helped me to peak a little bit later where the towards the end where the, the European season is going to be rather than the domestic season. So like just little changes like that, um, I've kind of worked out work for me better. And I think kind of those, those approaches have helped me kind of keep improving year on year. Yeah, it is an interesting thought because I think a lot of people, and, and maybe for, for good reason, a lot of them, but a lot of people who go up to Falls Creek are super inspired about training with the, the best that, you know, Australia's got to offer in terms of distance running. Um, but even the even the blokes who were sort of 24, 25, just trying to still get that breakthrough, go up and you'll hit some really hot form. But I know that there's a little bit of a reputation up there for maybe going harder than you should. I remember, dude, I went up there for the first time when I was about 17 or 18. And I don't know, do you know a bloke called Ryan Jackson? Yeah, Jacko. Yeah, yeah. He Jacko. Was, um... I remember running with him a fair bit when I when I was a junior up there. So yeah, he's, well, he's, he's a, good he's a man. great he's a great man. He's a great man. But I remember going up there with him, and I reckon he was doing a little bit of training with Nick at the time. And mate, some of the runs that we were going on, I was like, I can't believe we're even trying to call this a jog. Like I was calling it a jog while I was there for a week, but the the truth was, like if I was actually judging, engaging how my body felt, it was it was pretty much a session every day of the week, which is. You know, bound to reap some rewards if you can hold on for a short term, a short period of time. But it's an interesting approach that you take. A lot of people, I haven't heard a lot of people talk about, um, you know, possibly steering clear of a place like Falls, training by yourself, and just peaking for the races that you that you really want to peak in. So, is that something that you reckon, um, you know, a number of athletes could consider when it comes to planning their races? Maybe don't go up and just cook yourself, but try and consider what the actual target races are 
and how you can build your your phase of training towards that? Yeah, I think obviously a lot of it comes down to like individualized training plans. I think you kind of got to work out what's best for you. I think um, sometimes if I'm in that group environment, I end up training differently to how I probably need to train. Like I know I remember when I used to go to Falls Creek, I would end up doing a lot of easy runs way too hard. You just get caught up running in a pack or whatever, stuff like that. So I kind of, that's what I kind of enjoy being back in Melbourne and just maybe having a couple guys around me or even just training solo. You can kind of work out what you need to do and kind of um, piece piece together what you need to do to get better. And I think you can kind of individualize training a little bit more. But I just think for us, it's kind of, we go overseas a lot of months now that when, when I am back in Melbourne, I really enjoy being back in Melbourne and just training here. So I think we go on a lot of training camps when we're overseas. So I kind of don't mind um, staying home while I've got the chance as well. So that's a perk of being in Melbourne over um, over the new year as well. Yeah. How do you go with monitoring it? Because I feel like it takes a certain level of confidence not to get caught into the paces that a lot of other athletes are running at. Like, I know one of the things I used to struggle with was, like, if I was going for a run with, with say, Collis back in the day when we were up at Ballarat, who was a, a freak of a runner himself, he was one of the blokes that I used to look at and go, how is it possible to run that quick? I don't understand. But... I would get so caught up if he was doing a session which was easy for him but incredibly hard for me. I would just try and get the ego trip of, hey, look, I'm keeping up with Collis Birmingham and just smash myself probably harder than was necessary just to try and finish the session and, and say I did it. And, and looking back, it was probably to do with a lack of confidence because I knew he was running at a level that, that was you know well and truly above where I was running. It's easy to see all this in hindsight. But um, like if you're out doing a threshold with, with the great man Robbo, at the moment and he's feeling good on that particular day is that a session where you're running to heart rate or will you try and race it out with him a little bit or how do you how do you try and decipher what you're going to do in a situation like that where some of the boys try and lay it down and and you were just trying to have a bit more of a cruisy day yeah i think it depends if you go on pretty well i think you you kind of feel like you're um, a little bit bulletproof you can kind of um keep up whatever the pace is or um kind of push the pace even but I think a lot of the time you just got to put your ego away. At the end of the day, it's only training. Um, no one really remembers training too much. Obviously, racing is the, the important one. So I think if you're tired or something's not going right, you kind of just, yeah, got to put that ego in the back pocket and kind of just do what you think is going to be best. Because um, obviously, got, if you go too hard, it's going to put you in the put you in the hurt locker for a couple of days or even a week or you might get hurt or sick and it's going to put you further back. So you kind of, yeah, got to kind of hold back sometimes to go ahead, I guess. So I think that's a big thing. You got to kind of understand your body when you are tired or something's not right and kind of make sure you don't go over the limit too much i think you can get away with it occasionally in training but if you're doing it too often i think um yeah you you kind of putting yourself in the danger zone of some some gone wrong whether that's injury or sickness or you kind of get a little bit burnt out so i think um yeah it's kind of monitoring yourself and not not worrying about too much what other people are doing as well yeah i used to notice one thing whenever i was running well uh, I would always have this this deep level of confidence in the work that I was doing. Um, and when you can tie, string a couple of races together and your, your training's going well, you're recovering nicely, you sort of you just naturally start to back yourself a little bit. You go, all right, whatever I'm doing is really working. And I can only imagine for, <laughs> for a bloke like yourself who's now, what do you got? You got three the three Aussie records so far. I'm, I'm, Stewie, I've got my money on you for that five as well. I can't wait till you get an opportunity. But um, you're, you're looking at your, your training, you're looking at your races. There must just be a, a heap of confidence that comes with just doing the work that you're doing and then putting the results on your board. I guess it's harder to lose confidence when you're sort of in a little bit of a, you know, a little bit of a hot spot like you are. 